Thank you so much, Ez and Martin. Wow, wasn't that great? Isn't it amazing to hear Martin's call to arms, if you like, to uh, be that community that actually impacts and affects and transforms the area in which we live? Come on, let's, uh, let's respond to that. Let's really do it. I'm Ben, by the way. I, uh, am, I lead the team that leads Grace Church, and it is such a joy to be speaking to you today. Um, I am continuing the I Am series in John, which is uh, all about statements that Jesus made about himself. And I'm loving this series so far because it's helping us to better understand who God is as a church. There's a wonderful pastor, uh, A.W. Tozer, who once said, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing to us. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing to us. And I read this statement a number of weeks ago, and I was struck by the, the magnitude of it. I mean, it is a big statement, isn't it? You know, maybe you hear a statement like this, and your first response is, Tozer, really? Is that, <laughs> is that really the case? I know it's important, but surely you're using a bit of hyperbole here. Easy for me to say. <laughs> surely, surely you're exaggerating things slightly to, to make a point. You know, it is important, but is it the most important thing? Does how we view God have a bigger effect on us than, say, our upbringing? or our lived experience, our gender, what job we do, whether we're married or not, our sexuality. But as I continued to reflect on this, actually helped by another pastor and author, John Mark Comer, in his excellent book, God Has a Name, JMC says this, here is a truth that cuts across the whole universe. We become like what we worship, or to put it another way, what you think about God will shape your destiny in life. For example, if you think of God as someone who's racist and mad at the world, then this distorted vision will shape you into a religious bigot who is, wait for it, racist and mad at the world. It's true, isn't it? What, what, how we view God shapes the person we become. So I want to start today with the question... What comes to mind when you think about God? What comes to mind when you think about God? Is he near or is he distant? Now, if you're from a church background, now you will know the right answers to say. We'll all, we all know the right answers to say if you've got any experience of being in church. But I'm not interested in the right answers. I'm interested in what you really think. You know, is God in your mind, is he harsh or gentle? Is he generous? Is he always there? Is he steadfast or do you feel like he's let you down? Does he bring you comfort? Is he fair? Think about it. Reflect on it. Be honest with God as I'm speaking now and ask him to shape your thinking. And listen to what has been said over the next 20 minutes or so because this series, looking at the I am statements of Jesus, it's profound because it helps us understand better who Jesus is. And by the way, our worship was also profound because there were so many truths that came out in the chat and as Hannah uh, brought things and the contributions, uh, declaring who Jesus is. Because as we get to know him better, as we get to know Jesus better, he shapes our destiny as our life becomes more like him. 
So today we are looking at John chapter 14, uh, verses 1 to 7. I'm reading from the ESV, but let me just give you a bit of context first for the passage, okay? So um, in the previous chapter, Jesus and his 12 disciples, they're together. Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet, which is an incredible example of self-giving love. He reminds his disciples the acts of loving generosity are the hallmarks of being a follower of Jesus, so countercultural at the time that someone who has followers is, is reversing things and is, and is um, actually washing their feet. He then says that someone in the room, someone in the room here, not here, someone in his room is going to betray him, and then Judas goes and does just that. He's, Jesus says that he's leaving, and where he is going, they can't follow. These are people who have followed him for the last few years. And then finally, he tells Peter that Peter's going to deny him three times. Man, that is a dramatic few hours, isn't it? That is a dramatic mealtime. Maybe some of you have had uh, dramatic family times over the years, dramatic family mealtimes. But I challenge any of you to have ones which are full of drama as that one. If you have, put it in the chat. No, maybe don't do that, <laughs> actually. Keep it to yourself, but think about it. <laughs> and so off the back of this drama, the disciples, they are reeling. They are trying to process the whole thing. And now we pick it up in chapter 14, where Jesus starts with reassurance. He says this, chapter 14, verse 1, "'Let not your hearts be troubled.'" Let's pause there for a minute. Let not your hearts be troubled. That's exactly what the disciples needed to hear, isn't it? Exactly what they needed to hear. And let's face it, that is what we need to hear right now. Let not your hearts be troubled. And the rest of the passage is essentially unpacking why our hearts should not be troubled. So... If you're feeling troubled, if you're feeling anxious right now, and let's face it, who isn't to some extent? This passage will speak to you, and it will really help you. So with that in mind, Jesus, why should our hearts not be troubled right now? Why should they not be troubled? There's so much going on, isn't there? Life seems so unpredictable. Life is sad. Life can feel so out of control, so limited. Well, Jesus' response is as follows. It says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way to where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why should we not be troubled? Because this passage simply says, if you believe in Jesus, if you worship him, he has personally prepared a place for you, and you will spend eternity with him. If you're a Christian, your future is secure. Your future is secure. It's that simple. This means that whilst our immediate circumstances feel out of control, our future is not. Whilst our bank balance might go up or down, whilst our health 
might be an issue for us at certain points in our life. Whilst that dream job that you spent the last three years preparing for at university either hasn't quite happened for you or it's not what you expected, we have an eternal hope. As it says in another gospel, as it says in Matthew, we have the pearl of great price. This is easy to say. It's harder to understand, but it is totally life-changing if we can understand it, if we can get to grips with it fully. J.M. Barry, who's the author of Peter Pan, among many other works, said of his mother, Margaret, that she endured lots of misery in her life. She, that included the tragic death of one of her sons. But she was a Christian, and according to Barry, her mother's favorite uh, Bible chapter was John 14, the one I've just started to read. She read it so much that her Bible would just open up on that page naturally. And then when she was old and she could no longer read the words anymore, every single day she used to kiss the words in which they were printed. She got it. She was looking towards eternity. That's where her hope was found. And that knowledge helped her to see beyond her immediate situation, her immediate circumstances. And I find that it's um, so much easier to get a bit of a better perspective. Actually, when life's tough, it's one of the, I think it's one of the weird upsides of this terrible situation that we've been in for an extended period of time. In my 20s, my honest reflection was when I came to faith and people started talking to me about Jesus and particularly him coming uh, back, my reflection was, oh, it sounds like a good idea. I should be really cheering for it, but there's so much I want to do in my life right now. There's so much I want to achieve, I want to try, I want to, I want to try and make a difference that actually, Lord, almost please come back in a few years' time once I've given it a go. It's a ridiculous thing to think, but that's where I was at. And actually, on one level, it's fine because we are called to make a difference. As Martin said earlier on, we, we are called to impact and change and transform and be a blessing to the uh, people around us. But part of this perspective was down to the fact that I hadn't actually suffered that much in my 20s. I hadn't faced much rejection. I had some health issues, but things were fundamentally okay. But then maybe it's hitting 40. You might hear over the coming weeks and months me talking about being 40 a lot. It's just happened to me. Um, maybe it's known myself better. Maybe it's known my character flaws, my failings. Or maybe it is getting clearer on this eternal perspective. Or it could be just this current situation that we are all sit to death with. But I'm finding it far easier to find comfort in eternity, knowing that now I've now experienced more pain and suffering in life. Jesus has prepared a place for you and I in eternity. That's Jesus' encouragement. But the funny thing is, in this passage, did you notice it? When um, Thomas hears this huge eternal metaphor laced with hope, about Jesus preparing a room in his father's house for us. He's confused. He goes straight to the practicalities. And essentially, he responds by asking directions. That's my go-to response as well. <laughs> he, he says this, Lord, we do not know where you are going. We do not know. How can we know the way? I can relate to Thomas's um, question lots. When I'm anxious, 
I often miss the point. I miss the big picture because I'm too caught up in what's going on around me. Maybe you're similar to Thomas and I. Now, Thomas, he gets a bad rep. He is also known as Doubting Thomas, or that's how we have uh, known him as. Um, He was the one who uh, didn't believe Jesus had risen from the dead until he saw the nail holes in his wrists and in his feet. However, the Gospels also testify to him being courageous and bold. He's the first one to voice an opinion. He's practical. He's quick to act. It seems like he's the sort of person who would be great in the moment, you know, when everything's kicking off. He might be someone who you would less be likely to call on if you want something big, conceptual thinking going on, something like that taking place. And I was reflecting on Thomas's character as I was preparing for this, and it got me thinking about Myers-Briggs. Who's a fan of Myers-Briggs? Anyone? Yeah, we've got a few hands in the air. Again, you can put that in the chat. That is safe. Um, And Myers-Briggs is a personality test. You answer a number of questions, and it gives you a description of what you're like, how you respond in certain situations. It's helpful because it helps you to get to know yourself better. It also helps you to understand why different people respond to the same situations in very different ways. And so it helps you to to communicate. And in Myers-Briggs... I am an ESFP, so I won't go into lots more detail, but each letter describes an aspect of your personality, and all that means is that I'm an extrovert who's practical, I put other people first, and I would much rather live in the present than in the future. So when I'm planning something in the future, and we plan a lot at church, um, what I like to do is work out practical steps from where I am now to where we want to go to, I actually find myself getting quite anxious if someone paints this beautiful picture of the future, but I can't see how we can get there. That, that stresses me out. And as I was thinking and reading about Thomas, here's my theory. If Jesus was to do a Myers-Briggs test on his disciples, I think Thomas would also be an ESFP. I think he is remarkably similar to me. By the way, wouldn't that make a good book? You know, uh, uh, the disciples, Myers-Briggs and I, where you could uh, look at the disciples' characters. No one wants to be like Judas, so uh, (laughs) uh, there might be some flaws in that one, but um, feel free to have that one. Um, Maybe you're like Thomas and I. The most important, the thing that's most likely to stop you from feeling at peace is worrying about the practicalities of your immediate situation. However, Thomas's personality type with all of its strengths and its weaknesses, meant he was at least bold enough to voice a question which resulted in Jesus giving the most beautiful answer, a patient and loving response recorded for eternity. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is an absolute statement. Jesus did not say he would show us a way He said he is the way. He did not say he would promise to teach us a truth. He said he is the truth. He did not offer us the secrets to life. He said he is the life. And here we have the Christian message in two sentences. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. One of the things that I love about our faith is that the Christian life, it might not be easy, but it is simple. 
The way to the Father is not some mystical concept where you don't ever know whether you're quite in or whether you're quite out. There's no ambiguity there. It's through Jesus on the cross. You believe in Jesus, you put him as your Lord and Saviour, and your future is secure. Eternity is there for you, simple. And our issues, big and small, they find their answer in Jesus. The current concerns of life feel overwhelming or can do at different points. However, this life plotted on the x-axis of eternity is nothing but a little dot, a little blip in what could be the most incredible time with our Saviour, our Lord. So what do we do with our current circumstances? It's simple. We bring them to Jesus. We live cross-centred lives. We are crucified and resurrected with Christ. That's the Christian walk. Why should we not be troubled? Because our hope, our security, our strength, it comes from Jesus. He has prepared a place for us in heaven. And because our security comes from him, what you think about Jesus is of absolute importance. We are totally reliant on him. And so knowing that he is good and faithful, knowing that he is powerful, that he's kind, is essential for our own peace of mind. So let's go back to that Tozer comment right at the start. You know, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. One of the reasons that statement is true is because um, of um, this peace of mind that we get from knowing that we are in the hands of a loving saviour. He is with us now. He is comforting us now. He is doing just that, and he has prepared a place for us in eternity. Ultimately, what this means is that our hope is not in a vaccine per se, although that will change our immediate circumstances. Things will look up as that gets rolled out. Our hope is in Jesus. So to finish, how do we get an accurate view of who Jesus is? This is for us now to consider. It's for us now to put into practice. Well, what I find helpful is we keep preaching gospel truth to ourselves. We keep reminding us of ourselves of who God is. We write down the times where he has uh, been faithful. He has stepped in. He has made a difference in our lives. We read the Bible, which, by the way, the Bible is first and foremost not a self-help book. It's actually uh, here to help us to understand the character of God better, understand who God is. And as the passage says later, we have been given the Holy Spirit, and it's his role in our lives to point us to Jesus. In verse 16, the Holy Spirit is, de is described as, uh, in, in Greek, the word is paraclete, which could be translated helper, which it is in the ESV, or counsellor or advocate. He's our helper because he helps and he reminds us of Jesus' words. He counsels us. He brings us peace. He stills our troubled hearts. He advocates for us on, on our behalf. He reminds us of the eternal security we have in Christ. As I said earlier, being a Christian is hard sometimes. It's not easy, but it is simple. 
And if you don't know Jesus today, you can. You can. It's simple. You put your trust, you put your life in Jesus' hands. And we have a team who'd love to talk to you about anything I said. Maybe you're um, finding the absolute nature of I am the way, the truth, and the life, a hard one to swallow. We would love to talk to you a bit more about that. We're running an alpha course in a, in a month or so's time. We'd love for you to be part of that. It's just a great way of unpacking these simple yet profound truths. Um, there's details on the website that please get in touch. It will be a great conversation for, for both sides. I'd love to have the band up now. For, for us now, what I would love us to do is uh, to sing uh, a song. We're going to sing a song called Crowns, which has a line in it. I've counted up the cost and all my wealth is in the cross. I love us to reflect on that. I love us to reflect on how we, can, uh, how we can grow in our relationship with God, where our eternal security comes from, and then I'll come back after that. Because his perspective, this perspective, it changes everything.